0: whether it's caring about the ingredient or caring about each other as we work together front and back of house or the environment or indeed the community. It's something that um, has run through the Rockpool, Rockpool group and, um, and now is the kind of lifeblood of Margaret as we strive to you know, create great memories for our customers
1: today on dirty linen we are talking to one of the giants of the australian food industry neil perry was on the verge of opening margaret his new restaurant in double bay when sydney went into lockdown i wanted to check in with him find out how he's going how he is processing this ever-changing landscape neil welcome to dirty linen
0: thanks danny good to be here
1: it's great to have you. Um, there were a few restaurants that particularly came to mind when I heard about Sydney closing. Um, one of them was Momofuku Seobo, which had its long planned closure for the day, or the night that,, yeah, lockdown happened.
0: They were in the opposite situation to me. They lost their. Clothes. They lost their closing event, I lost my opening.
1: Yeah, well, I I did see, you know, I think they managed to have a bit of a celebration, albeit a day earlier than they were planning. I'm sure it was very bittersweet and certainly some people who weren't able to experience it for the last time. Yeah, like just awful situation. Um, But you, of course, were about to open a restaurant. Um, How did it play out for you? Uh,
0: Well, look, it was difficult. I I lost three events coming into the proper opening because I was doing – Seven events in a row, actually, uh, that were were getting the wheels going around in the dining room and getting us cooking and great revenue and um, fantastic group of customers who are all you know brands associated with me. Like um, uh, I, I did the Qantas and the Palace House events, but we lost um, Lexus and Afr and CBA private so look you know those those were a, a pain and then of course Friday we we cancelled 1500 um, people's bookings for the first week and then on Saturday we went through and sent everybody I mean they knew but we just wanted to make contact of another 1500 people who are coming the second week so um, my heart goes out to all the staff though I mean <clears throat> that's the big issue is they were just started and they were, had their heads in the right space and now they've got a couple of weeks where you know they're not earning any money and although the government is saying they're going to come to assistance uh, with a JobKeeper style payment um, as you know these things take time and the kids it's a saving for them I like, guess but lots of them live week to week and um L- losing a couple of weeks of salary is is, uh, is is tough for them.
1: Yeah, it is really tough, and I think you know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Sydney just didn't feel like it was about to have the rug pulled out from under it in this way.
0: It felt pretty. Uh, it felt pretty unnerving on Thursday, and I was surprised that we didn't go on Thursday, given how. Uh, amazingly transmissible this variant seems Um, and then we got to Friday I wasn't shocked I was shocked that we didn't take the whole uh, of Sydney down because it already felt like it was getting out of hand but the government made a very quick decision to um, rein the rest of the rest of the city in and, and, and do the regional, um, restrictions. And I think that was the most sensible thing to do long-term. Um, you know, hopefully we're only down for two weeks. We have great traces and trackers and, and, and we seem to be, um, getting ahead of it. So hopefully the next three or four days will will tell whether it's, you know, two weeks or three weeks, I guess.
1: Yeah, well I really hope that yeah you crush it. Certainly for your sake and for you know, yeah. everyone in New South Wales sake, but I think for everyone around the country's sake, we just don't want this variant getting out of control.
0: No, definitely not and as you can see how it spreads with people at the moment um you know there's the the virgin pilot and obviously the the, the minor um, he's gone up to, to WA, and you can see how it quickly it gets out of control. But um, I think the most important thing is that the government seem to have a pretty strong handle on on what the reactions need to be. I mean, I just think we, we need to get vaccinated. I mean, for Morrison to say it wasn't a race a little while ago is just lunacy. It's a race, all right. We we just can't continue to keep locking down on business or people um, because confidence, you know, mental health. Uh, you know, every, every, everything um, is is, uh, is is in the negative rather than the positive. And I don't know if you heard today, Danny, but I was listening to the press conference, and there is a, a party of uh, that where thirty-one people were at last week, and um, amazingly, I think it's twenty-four of them uh, got the virus out of thirty-one. Um, six of those people had the two vaccinations had the double dose fully vaccinated they didn't get it and there was one um, aged care worker who had their first vaccination so you've got seven people out of 31 are the only ones that didn't get it so if that's not advertising for please go out and get vaccinated so we can get our life out back on track I don't know what is get our life out Back on track. I don't know what is.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. I think that is the huge news out of that press conference. I think it was a little bit overtaken by the um, bizarre stories about nude sunbathers being chased by deers and somehow running through forests with mobile phones and like. I
0: I, I I think that was two people who wanted to actually get into the news. I can't believe. That anything like that they say happened to them happened to them. Honestly,
1: (laughs) it's crazy, but I absolutely agree with you. Like the massive like headline should be, the people that were vaccinated didn't get COVID, and of course then didn't spread it. So I mean that is a massive vote of confidence.
0: And and didn't get the variant right. So this is the most transmissible variant that's running around the world at the moment. And I mean, you know, if you need any proof that it's transmissible, 26 people got it. So, um, yeah, look, I think it, it's it's always been get vaccinated. It's the way that we get out of here. And if we don't get to the situation where we're vaccinated and we open up our country and we accept the fact that there will be this disease in the community from time to time. And like the flu, people will get sick. And sadly, sometimes there might even be, um, you know, if there's underlying health issues, which is where... You know, the flu causes issues. There may even be deaths, but but we can't actually have a situation where where we're closed off to the world for the next ten years. Uh, we'll open in ten years' time, and the same thing will happen. So 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 we really need to actually get vaccinated and and you know get moving in the world again.
1: Yeah, we definitely do. If anyone can get vaccinated, please do get vaccinated.
0: I've had my first one.
1: Yep. I've had my first one as well. And yeah, I felt so incredibly grateful and quite teary. And yeah, I just wish you could, it could be, everyone could be vaccinated straight away. But um as we know, there's a few issues. Um Neil, you've opened restaurants for decades and in some pretty interesting circumstances. Um, tell me how you put the opening and the actual not quite opening of Margaret in context with some of the other scenarios where you've you've opened restaurants?
0: Yeah, quite different. I mean, I've opened, uh, as you say, I've opened uh, in really crazy circumstances. So 1989 was Rockpool. And in 1989, we had the recession that we had to have. Um, Trish and I borrowed 1.8 million dollars and we were paying the bank 18% interest, which is just frightening when you think about interest terms as they are today. You can't even imagine how you considered doing business. But um, they were rampant. And, of course, they were affecting the business world around us. So it was a pretty tough environment to open a restaurant. But we were still open and we were trading and the wheels were going. Um, then, of course, you know, we had a, a Rockpool Bar and Grill and Spice Temple, which combined was a, an $11 million project. Right smack bang in the middle of the GFC, so you know the wheels fell off the whole thing in November. Um, we'd we'd bought the or David bought the building the year and a bit before, um, and we were full on into building both of them. And and of course you just can't stop. You had we had to finish it, and so that was pretty scary. That was probably almost as nervous as I've ever been in my life, I think. And a great mate of mine, Jeff Dixon, said to me after I took him through the side at about seven thirty one night and we were about three quarters built. We walked out on the street at Hunter Street where there wasn't one single person. And he (laughs) said, he said, mate, I feel for you. This isn't crown, you know, (laughs) where we get 16 million visitors a year. And I sort of dawned on me that I'd sort of, really punted on the Sydney CBD in a massive way. But of course it panned out to be the most extraordinary experience ever. And here I, I you know, I spent a lot more money in the restaurant than I wanted to because, because i called caught it Margaret and because I, um, because I really think of this place as kind of the restaurant where I'm most likely the last restaurant I'll own um, the, the, I own it myself. It's it's named after my mother. And it's very personal to me and I want to be there nearly every day. And um, so w- when 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 the budget was going up, when things were going, you know, do you want it to look like this? Then I would go, yes, okay, I'll find the money. Yes, I want those beautiful steak knives. I'll find the money. Um, you know, uh, that was that was sort of continually kept happening. Um, and even though I'd spent a lot more than I thought, just coming in and having those great relationships with business and and, and having those um, cash flow events beforehand and it seemed like everything was aligning um and uh, and i felt like i was kind of diving in the pool of a hundred meters race but i was on a three meter springboard i had such a great head start on where things were going and of course now they've got me down in the pool kicking off the wall while everyone else is jumping off the top so I, I, you know i'll make it to the end but it's certainly going to be um you know in terms of a cash flow turnaround it's probably a half a million dollar, um, event for me in the negative. So, so I'll get there, but, um, yeah, from thinking I was in great shape, um, you know, this has knocked me around, but Hey Danny, you know what, for what's been happening in the last 18 months and what's happened around the world what's happened to our great hospitality family in Europe and America and, you know, those kids were locked down for a year. So, um, these are really, you know, small things to bear compared to what other people have been through
1: well yeah I mean perspective is a powerful tool but um, yeah you must have had your moments
0: <laughs> yeah my life you know I'm just putting my life in hold and I just sort of said hey let's let's write th- three months worth of g- good weekend columns and get myself through to <laughs> Christmas, when I open the restaurant, I'm not getting hassled. And then, you know, I've got to do my licensee course because I'm the licensee and I've got my RSA and I've got the license. And I sort of said, oh, you know what? That was going to be like, I'll never get that seven hours back doing that course on online. But, but I might as well just stick my head down on Thursday and do it and knock it over. You know, there's all these things. And, of course, we're working really hard to make sure that anything that was um, not quite right um, – is is fixed before the restaurant open, and I and I sent a, a message out to the staff to say, you know, we'd be fighting for every um, dollar the government would would send their way, and 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 also talking to them about all the things we want to do when we get an opportunity to start training again and and get the restaurant open.
1: Mm, well, that's good. Well, one good thing about the COVID disaster payment that the federal government will start to pay out from week two of the lockdown is that it is available to visa holders, and I know that you very active in um, yeah, advocating on behalf of temporary visa holders last year. So, I mean, I think at least there is that recognition that those people are part of the community and need to be looked after just like anybody else.
0: Yeah. Well, a great part of the, you know, the family, the hospitality family. And I think sadly, like, you know, if you look at, you know, 400,000 plus uh, work holiday people that aren't here and students and, about another hundred or more thousand of skilled visas holders had to go home. And I know you guys down there in Victoria were really knocked about by, by that because they just couldn't hold out that, that second four and a half month lockdown. But, um, and, and lots of people moving out of the industry because they, you know, you don't get locked out of construction or you don't get locked out of a few other essential services. So I know a lot of people went, gee, I don't need to work weekends and nights and, 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 and my job isn't, you know, shut down. So, I know that um, it's not only fantastic for visa workers, but it's important for the industry for it to feel like it's, um, you know, some, somewhat respected by the government, protected by the government when we get into situations like this. So I'm, I'm really pleased for the guys that there's a, you know, there's a safety net there for them.
1: Mm, yeah, it's interesting, you know, you mentioned people that have left the industry through this period. And of course, you know, there's the, the international, so many of those people have left. Um, and staffing is a constant struggle, not that it wasn't before. Um I mean, by the same token, a lot of people have used this as an opportunity to reset and to sort of reframe their businesses, whether that's smaller menus or shorter opening hours, trying to work with one team instead of two, whatever it is, just to cope with the new circumstances but also to in a positive sense to use it as a, an opportunity to reset get a bit of work-life balance um have people working you know having a proper weekend all those kinds of things given that this is the first restaurant that you've opened by yourself i mean have you also used it as an opportunity to open a different kind of restaurant
0: well i mean we we we're not opening monday tuesday wednesday lunch because we just don't have enough staff so there's the, there's the reset there. Um, and we certainly number crunch and have a look at whether it was worth opening that when we, when we can get the extra staff. Um, look, I think we've, we, we, we've come into it sort of being very strong on, uh, people sort of working hours and making sure that, you know, we've asked the guys in the, in the kitchen to work, you know, 44 to 45 hours, but every single dime of overtime is paid. And, um, we, what, we want no more than that from them. And, we want them to have work-life balance, and sometimes over the weekends, and no double shifts on Saturday and Sunday, and things like that, to make sure that people are feeling like um, they're they're valued, but also most importantly, like you said, that they feel like they can have a fantastic job, they can deal with the best produce in the country, but they've they've also got a life when they when they head home. But you know, in 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 sort of framework of say smaller menus and and so thing like that, I I haven't done that because I always struggle to have small menus because I always have so many great suppliers that I want to represent, but I also love to give people choice. And so, you know, the menus up on the website now, I think there's probably about 35, 40 things on it, um, plus dessert, and we're doing a bar menu as well. But it's just so hard when you've got some of the greatest fishermen in the world um, working with you not to have their beautiful fish, you know, perfectly cooked and sent to the table. But I think that gives people – Great deal of choice. So often, smaller menus and some of these things that we do are are great for the the restaurateur potentially, but aren't so great for the customer. So I like to focus on what's good for the customer as well when I when I make these choices. So I often think that they, you know, they like to to go to a restaurant and have some choice, and that can be in price point. So in on the 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 restaurant menu, you, you know, I think it's got some really keen very affordable pricing and it's got some very much luxury pricing because you might want to go there and eat caviar truffles at this time of year and and coral trout or you might want to have something much simpler a roast chicken off the rotisserie or um a braised piece of meat or something that's uh some some beautiful vegetables just grilled over the wood fire so it just gives people the 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 you know the option to be able to um Go for a snack, go for dinner, or go for a big night out, and I think that's one of the things that you know places like bar and grill have always been successful at. And I hope Margaret is 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 in its, I say, I guess it's it's um, uh, you know, neighborhood kind of restaurant, brasserie, bistro type of 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 um, feel that people feel like they can just drop in and have a bite, uh, drop in and have a Negroni or. Or, or, or indeed bring, you know, the family in on a Saturday night for a birthday. So that's the sort of restaurant we want it to be. And, you know, I want to kind of be there every day, you know, looking after uh, my customers.
1: Let me ask you about the green salad with Margaret Vinaigrette, because I would love to know more about Margaret and how you're honouring her with this restaurant.
0: Well, I, I've, I felt that we had to create something. Um, and one of the things that's really important about about salad is right through summer we'd always grow our own when my more as a family because my um yeah with my my dad was a really keen gardener um and i think most of the things that we uh you know we're mucking around with at the moment with moment one of my mum's most favorite um dishes and my, my favorite dish that i used to love to eat with which was her steak and kidney pie so when we get um back open and we're back in the kitchen um trialing we'll We'll, we'll revisit mum's steak and kidney pie but I, I wanted the salad to be representative of you know the palm sugar vinaigrette which I made quite famous um and and through Rockpool through Rockpool Bar and Grill and was really created at, at Blue Water Grill so I, I wanted to sort of create a signature at Margaret that was um really representative of this restaurant being different to the other restaurants that I've I've been at and and so the, the, the Margaret dressing is really Rich and I coming up with this idea of uh, I love matcha, which is in its simplest form uh, a Mexican paste, which um, is really uh, dried chili that's that's ground and fried in olive oil. And then in its more complicated state, it has sometimes sesame seeds and sometimes other spices and sometimes pepita seeds. And so we, we sort of <clears throat> created a spice mix, house-made matcha, if you like. And then we built uh, a dressing around that with really high quality, um, you know, vinegar and honey and and uh, beautiful, the Margaret extra virgin olive oil, that Cobram uh, are doing with me. It's the Hojiblanco which I really, really love. And, um, you know, seasoning. And we've built this into the beautiful... It's, it's not outrageously it's not spicy but it is a little tiny bit hot but you don't even notice it on the uh, on the bitter leaves and the firm green leaves and things but the the dressing itself just has such wonderful depth of flavor from all those things and 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 obviously the spices and the sesame and so what it really does i guess is um it's incredibly representative of what we want margaret to be which is Beautiful ingredients, great simplicity, yet there's a sort of sophistication and, and also craft that we bring in the way that we cook. And Rich and I are doing a collaboration and Richard Perdue is one of the finest cooks, along with Corey Castillo at Rockpool and Andy Evans and, you know, original Chef Khan at Rockpool. I mean, we all um, have cooked together for so long, but we, we all have this wonderful, I think, ability to understand that the produce is the most important thing. And for us, we have to let it breathe and we have to make sure that we bring great craft. But it's more about what we can take out of the dish rather than what we can add in. And I think Rich and I are on very much the same page. So it's a real collaboration. And I probably he's really comfortable in Mediterranean. I mean, I am too. But I, I bring some of the Asian flavours that I've always worked with that kind of present themselves in a kind of very Western way. That's not like... Walking into a restaurant that's half Thai and half, um, you know, Mediterranean, but it, but but there are flavors and there is things like you know fish sauces and soy's and mirin and takaroshi and <clears throat> curry paste and all these sorts of things that that bring great flavor to a dish and umami. But you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, that's what's in it. It just completes the dish and rounds it out and, and brings great flavor. So, the dressing was really to become a signature of Margaret the sense and feel of Margaret really comes from my mum's sense of generosity and hospitality. So, so Danny, to to give you a a kind of a view of where my life started and I suppose my life in restaurants is influenced, my dad, very well documented, really, you know, created the cook that I am in, in seasonality and respect for produce and understanding fish and meat and, you know, growing um, things and, and the the natural taste of, of, of things. And then mum was an amazing woman who was very generous and caring. And we, we had a massively um, extended family, really. I was one of seven and the only kid was related to all of the, of dad's four, four um, children and mum's two children. I was the little sort of uh, brat in the middle of the Brady bunch, really, I suppose it was related to everyone. But my, my, you know, business partner, Trisha was in, is still in Qantas and um, the Rockpool group with me, uh, started Rockpool with me in 1989. She, you know, it's pretty well documented that she's my cousin, but we lived together for a few years at home when I was young. And then we, then we lived together when we left, left home and flattered together. And so we've got this great relationship that goes beyond being blood relatives, but that was sort of mum's thing. She, you know, my nieces lived with me for a few years. Anytime there was trouble in the family or an issue, she would, she would be there to support the family and so forth. And so that really sort of started the care philosophy that I've run all the restaurants with. And so it was important, I think, for me to recognize, although I haven't talked a lot about it, I have in the restaurants when I've spoken to my staff, but I haven't really spoken a lot about it um, publicly. So, So it was important for me to kind of, I think, you know, really, Shout out about how important she's been in my restaurant life, um, and and you know I sort of dedicated the most recent book that I've just finished and is out in October, to her as well because I think that sense of generosity runs through the book as well, and 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 caring is an important part of whether it's caring about the ingredient or caring about each other as we work together front and back of house or the environment or indeed the community. It's something that um, has run through the Rockpool Rockpool Group and. Um, and now is the kind of lifeblood of Margaret as we strive to you know, create great memories for our customers.
1: Great. Well, it sounds, yeah, incredibly resonant. Um, and yeah, looking at the menu, I feel like the dishes just shout flavour. Um, just looking at a few like rotisserie chicken with shiitake butter or smoked buffalo mozzarella with grilled radicchio. I'm sort of sensing a lot of smoke, fire and grill in amongst it all. It, beetroot baked in embers. That sounds beautiful too. Um, so Neil, it's almost, <laughs> it's almost exactly a year ago that you quote unquote, retired. Um, And I remember the day after you announced your retirement, you then (laughs) posted a video of yourself on Instagram, like um, incredibly busy back of house, like getting some food out. And I thought this, this man hasn't quite read um, the dictionary definition of retirement. I'm not sure he knows what it means. Um, What, what happened there?
0: Um, well, look, I intended to take a bit of a break and, um, you know, the, I'm still a shareholder in Rockpool and all of my brilliant people are there in Sydney and Melbourne and Perth and I love them dearly and I talk to them all the time actually. Um, but I just decided to step back from the running um, of the business and the guys were happy for me to do that, which was brilliant. Um, and I sort of was focusing very heavily on, uh, A, helping um Corey and the guys restart uh, Rockpool and Andy Spice Temple after, after COVID kind of you know, shutting them down and then, and then working really hard on keeping um, the whole notion of Hope Delivery uh, going so we ended up to the end of last year serving you know, 300,000 meals between Sydney and Melbourne and I, and I had intended to take a big break but look just by chance I, I saw the site in, in Double Bay Um, I met the developers, Charles uh, Malek and Dan Gallen and Patrick uh, Keenan and three really great guys who, uh, again, you know, they'd had a great way of doing business and, you know, integrity and and sort of that whole notion of looking after each other uh, is important to me. And I felt like I'd met some guys who weren't just developing something but were developing something they wanted for it to be world-class and amazing. And and I just felt like I'd just found the – the best site in the Eastern suburbs. And I was also pondering the fact of kind of being retired and recognized that I really missed, um, all the amazing young people that i work with. So, you know, it, it started, a, a, a play I talked to the guys at the dining group and they were happy for me to do Margaret. So, so, um, yeah, so, you know, I just decided to do it and, and it started out, um, looking well, you know, it still is going to be in one way, a very humble kind of, you know, bistro and, and a neighbourhood restaurant, but in another way, hopefully it brings, um, you know, craft and experience to the eastern suburbs, which sets a great tone for Double Bay and, and helps bring all the other guys along, you know, with me.
1: Mm. Well, I mean, we've talked about staffing and how tricky that is at the moment, but in your role as a, a mentor to so many in the industry, how do you like and taking a macro view, like sort of beyond COVID, how do you see the state of things in terms of you know where the industry is placed in society like do people value it enough and what is it going to take for more people to enter and stay in hospitality
0: Well, I think, you know, we've got to focus very strongly on young Australians and look, immigration will start again and we will be able to bring some of our amazing skilled visa people who are sitting in, you know, Korea and Brazil and Italy and and dying to come back to Australia because there were many of them on the way to you know PR but just missed that boat sadly. And and they were really contributing majorly to the community. uh, but I see young Australians being uh, keen to get in the industry and hopefully, um, you know, with government help subsidies, pushing them. I think with the, uh, you know, big upheaval that, that, that the industry went through in terms of, of uh, you know, pay versus hours and like every industry's changing and, and that uh, helps people sort of move towards the industry and see that it's got, you know, a great, a great place to work and train and, and there's great rewards there, so hopefully that that's a very positive um, thing. And I think the industry is valued um, by society, and and so hopefully people will help support their local businesses and 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 particularly help them through these tough times. I and mean, it's been great to see, you know, whether people have been supporting, um, you know, takeaway uh, or or they've been, you know, really supporting the industry once they were out of lockdown by by coming back and, and and booking and getting into the restaurants and and in, in this in in a sense kind of being a little bit more flexible about their attitudes I mean things like um, you know the two-hour turn and stuff that was often pushed back against was sort of accepted as hey we have to kickstart this industry so we kind of understand if they're going to pay people the right wages and if people are going to, um, value the industry, and if the industry is going to survive, then if prices can't go up dramatically, then the restaurateurs definitely going to have to get an extra half a turn, or definitely going to get a have to have another double turn um, on a busy night to be able to drive that turnover, to be able to make all of the percentages that that business faces in the modern era, um, you know, to 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 work. So I think I think um, definitely our amazing customers have had they've come back with a lot of positivity towards the industry. I mean, I, I said it when, you know, when we opened up in Sydney in June, for the first couple of months, it was like customers were on ecstasy. You know, honestly, everybody loved everybody else. And, oh my God, we're so happy to be back. And, and there is an amazing respect I think for what we've gone been through and gone through in the industry. And, and, you know, we've had to, to be very respectful of, 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 you know, our COVID safe plans and, and, you know, in New South Wales, we've been very strong on our uh, on our, uh, QR coding and that Service in New South Wales app has just been extraordinary for the last eight months. And, and, um, and, and we've all worked very hard and tirelessly on making sure that in the environment that we're in, we're providing a very safe environment for our customers. And, and, and I think our customers have been very thankful for that.
1: Yeah, I think, and I'm sure when you come out of this lockdown, it'll be the same. There'll be um, that just fizzing enthusiasm to be back in restaurants, and I'm sure um, that at Margaret, they will be all about the truffles and the caviar as well.
0: Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah, sh- and the beautiful rotisserie chicken and and the simple salads and things that we're doing. And I think nothing really, um, I, I think, frames what Mar- Margaret's about um, more more than the Sydney rock oyster. Um, you know, because we put in a special 14 degree fridge to hold the oysters in perfect condition. It's one of the reasons why the bar and grills, I think, always have some of the best oysters in the country. They get the best oysters, but they're always kept in the the, the fish shop and the and the and the butcher shop and, and 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 that runs at about 16 degrees. It rocks hate going into a fridge um, because that's not the type of of animal they are. You know, they. Uh, in estuaries and they're they, they they are out of the tide and under the tide and so forth and so they're used to sometimes having the sun on their back and being in warm conditions so you know four degrees really knocks them around and kills them so so I think you know having that that fridge and making sure that those oysters are in perfect condition and 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 opening them at the moment that they're ordered as many restaurants do but if they're not in perfect condition when you When you serve them and lots of our guys always say our suppliers that the oysters kept in that condition really are in the best nick about four or five days to to 10 days out of the water the flavor is really fantastic and so that's one of the things that we focus on really strongly is just looking after um you know what our our beautiful our beautiful produce
1: well, Neil, I have a similar system to that when we go camping and we get some we get oysters and we wrap them in a sack and dampen it with seawater and then just put it under the trailer in the shade. And Perfect. they are delicious as well. I reckon that I didn't I never thought of it, but they're probably at about 16 degrees.
0: Yeah, they 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 really hate being cold rocks and so, you know, you're basically killing them and then they drop their water. So so that that whole thing that you've got going there is why when you open them you just go wow these oysters are amazing they start to drink up a little bit of their own water because they're in there uh, and it actually creates more flavor within the oysters so all those things uh, are important and um, you know there aren't very many people who do that I mean we always have at Rockville Bar and Grill and I know um, Josh does it at at the fish butchery so you know it's important that you know we do things like work with the best fishermen, dry fillet our fish. And then you were talking about I've been cooking over wood fire for the last, you know, 16 years professionally and all my life as a person cooking on barbecues. So so um, it was important that the heart of the of Margaret was the wood fire grill. And because it, it is the heart, then we try to do as many things, you know, on it and, and, and around it as we possibly can.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, like – the magic of restaurants sometimes it just does feel like magic but then speaking to you about all those little details you do get a sense that you know there is actually a a very thoughtful magician who's creating you know who's doing those tricks and making it and of course you know the idea is that it just seems effortless and people would just think well I know the oysters there always taste better I don't need to know why but I'm going back
0: well, it's interesting, you know, we were doing the tasting and, and we had some of Bruce Collis's beautiful King George whiting and I was going to do that with some charred leeks and a little preparation of the dressing. And and we, we uh, you know, cooked it on the skin. And then we take it and put basically at that stage the... The, it goes quite gelatinous. I mean, that whiting is just phenomenal uh, as long as you don't overcook it. And we essentially put it on a plate. Uh, the the, uh, the underside never touches fire or whatever. And it's and it looks a little bit raw when it's there. But by the time the residual heat goes through, it's perfectly cooked. And, and I said to Richard, I said, I, I honestly think this is so amazing, this fish. All we need to do is kind of, you know, and I say drown, but a, a lot just – not a drizzle, a really good soaking of the Haji Blanco lemon juice and sea salt, and serve it. And we tasted it and we just went, Yeah, that's our signature. We are brave enough because we know this fish is amazing. We know that our fisherman's incredible. We know that we've treated it perfectly. We know we've cooked it perfectly. And all it needs is the best oil in Australia, beautiful Murray salt, and a squeeze of lemon juice. Um, and we know some of our other more robust fish can handle that bit of extra, you know, exo butter or, or 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 chimich, what, what is essentially salmonilia, or you know, um, th- that's the sort of view that we have. But I sort of said to to Rich when we decided to serve it like that, I said that's the the that's the bravery of this restaurant is people will understand how extraordinary the produce is.
1: Mm, that's certainly. It does take a lot of confidence and experience to do things so simply.
0: It does, but it's worth it. And um, it, 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 I've always said simplicity is the hardest thing in the world because there's nowhere to hide. And um, so you've got to get it right to the, to the moment. Otherwise, um, you're in serious trouble.
1: Well, Neil, um, it's always a pleasure to speak and I really now have an extra reason to hope that Sydney smashes um, this COVID crisis because I think people really need to eat all that food. Um, So, yeah, good luck. Um, It's great to have a chat and I hope it is not too long before you're able to throw open the doors at Margaret and welcome your excited customers.
0: Well, thank you, Danny, and I hope at some stage you're one of the ones that comes in the door because I'd love to see you.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be there. (laughs) Okay, take (laughs) care.
0: Ciao. Bye.
1: This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.
0: Nice.